0: of heights to the depths
1: of the sea. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, notice, in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I, until I bring you word again, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And remember, last week we talked about this crisis of obedience that certainly Joseph would have to go through. And many people in the Bible, in order to be obedient to God, sometimes you have to go through a crisis.
0: Inescribable, uncontainable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today we learned that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and commanded him to arise, take the child, and his mother flee to Egypt. This command was urgent and came right when the wise men had departed. It would not have sounded completely strange to Joseph that they should find refuge in Egypt. There was a large Jewish community in Egypt. It wasn't strange that the Holy Spirit would guide Joseph to take the family there. Joseph's rapid and complete obedience is impressive. As believers in Jesus Christ, we too should have rapid response to his requests at all times. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress
1: means it led them. So unlike stars that we see in the heavens today, they're not movable, are they? I mean, they move, but they all move together, right? The, the solar system, I mean, the earth moves and we see everything and everything's kind of fixed. But this star, this star is, they are following this star from Babylon, from Persia, wherever they're at, and they're being led by it. And they are following that star. There's something about this, and they're like, something is happening, something is about to happen, and we want to be there and take pictures. <laughs> we want to be there for this event. And they had an inkling, and so when they saw the star notice they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him and When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and incense frankincense and myrrh and again, notice these are just the gifts, not the number of kings or the number of um wise men and gold they brought certainly because of his kingly and heavenly origin if he's the king of the jews if he is the messiah then he is worthy of any gold that we could bring him and they would also bring frankincense which is an ingredient if you remember in the tabernacle and in the temple and it was uh, frankincense was part of the of the incense that they would use in the temple and it speaks of intercession and jesus we know is it says therefore he is also speaking of Jesus in Hebrews 7. He's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Aren't you glad that Jesus prays for you? I am very glad that he prays for me. I don't deserve his prayers, but he prays for me. He prays for you and I. And is he going to an- Is God going to answer those prayers? Is this father going to make sure that those prayers are answered? Because Jesus, when he prays, he knows exactly what to pray, and there's no flesh in his prayer. He says, Lord, preserve them through (laughs) COVID-19. Lord, help them. Help them. And myrrh also they gave. And myrrh was used for embalming the dead. We know that in John chapter 19, remember when Joseph and, and Nicodemus came. It says that Nicodemus, who came first uh, to Jesus by night, also came with with, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. So there's something about this gift that they're bringing to Jesus that has a connotation of death with it. And naturally so. And in fact, even in the gifts they give to him, it's prophetic, isn't it? Because we know that he is God, the gold. We know that he's going to intercede for us. He always makes intercession for us, the the frankincense. And we also know that he's going to die. This one was born to die and he would die for the sin of the world, for the sins of the world and for the sin of the world. And he died for us specifically, and that speaks of the myrrh. But notice in verse 12, Then being divinely warned, notice, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. See, these roads going into Jerusalem from these different places in the Orient, they were all very well-traveled roads. And there were other ways to get to certain places. Some were more direct and maybe even a little smoother than others. And those would actually be used more often, naturally. Because it's easier on the feet. It's easier on the animals that you're traveling with or the people that you're traveling with. But notice, once these guys had been divinely warned by God, and, and, and this idea of warning them in a dream, four times in this chapter it mentions that God warns through a dream. One time he speaks to the magi themselves, and then the three other times he's speaking in a dream to Joseph, the one who was the caretaker with Mary of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord can use dreams, and he often does. He used dreams to communicate to Joseph, the son of Jacob. He even used dreams in the lives of pagan kings. Remember, during the time of Joseph back in Genesis. God gave to Pharaoh a dream about a drought for seven years, and he couldn't figure it out. And God gave to Joseph the understanding for that dream. And he saved so many people by, by listening to God and by God speaking to him. We think of Pharaoh, an Egyptian pagan, ruler. And what about Nebuchadnezzar from, I, from Iraq, modern-day Iraq? The land of the Chaldeans. The Lord also spoke to him about events concerning the end times. And pinpoint accuracy. And then Daniel comes along and interprets those things. And folks, do you understand how big of a deal that is? Notice God didn't give to Daniel that dream. He gave to Daniel the interpretation, but he went to a pagan king. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're the king of kings. But I'm the king of kings. And in fact, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your kingdom is the head of gold. But your gold is going to fade, and then there's going to come the silver, the Medes and the Persians, and then the bronze, the the Alexander the Great, and so on and so forth, all the way to the end times of a revived Roman Empire, which is even yet future to us today. But Jesus says, I'm the king of kings. And he gave that interpretation to a young man named Daniel to give to the king. So now notice in verse thirteen. Now when they the magi had departed, behold, remember an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Notice in a dream, saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I until I bring you word again. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him." And remember, last week we talked about this crisis of obedience that certainly Joseph would have to go through, and many people in the Bible, in order to be obedient to God, sometimes you have to go through a crisis. Are you going to obey God or are you going to obey the traditions of men or even anyone else other than God? Your boss can tell you to do one thing and it goes against everything the word of God is about. You have a crisis of obedience. And Joseph had a crisis of obedience. And notice also that the Lord told him to go to Egypt until he spoke to him again. Did God know at that time that Herod would die pretty soon? Of course he did. Couldn't he have told Joseph, Joseph, I want you to go there for a few months, but on this day and on this time, Herod's going to die and then you can come. God could have done that, but he didn't do that. And that's what makes the crisis even more beautiful. Not for Joseph. But he has to wait. He has to be patient. He has to wait, right? I'm waiting on God until he tells me. Who knows how long they were there in Egypt. And then finally he... God tells him in a dream to go back. But when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Notice he did it immediately. He didn't waste time. He didn't try to argue with God about the details of the trip. He simply listened and was obedient immediately. If God speaks to you, do it immediately. Otherwise, he would speak to you later. God has spoken to me. I remember uh, coming on staff here at the church back in 2002 or 2001 or 2002 and he told me, he, he invited me to come and I had no idea that I would be the senior pastor one day but he told me, this is what I want you to do and I argued with the Lord literally for a year until he zapped me with a scripture in Deuteronomy. But I wasn't very faithful <laughs> But Joseph was faithful. God spoke to him. He did it. And boy, there's a lot of credit that people need to be given when they obey the word of God. Be one of those people that obeys the word of God the first time, not the second or third time. Amen? And so look at verse 15 and notice, And and be there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. Notice, spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And of course, this is uh, Hosea 11. And remember, there is going to be a lot of Old Testament references in Matthew. In fact, there's going to be 96 different references as we go through Matthew of the Old Testament, more so than any other book with the exception of Revelation. And again, Matthew's pointing to this one, this one, this king of the Jews But notice, we get to verse 16 now, which is really where we're going to dig into what we're going to talk about this morning. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men and was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to... There it is right there. You might want to underline that. From two years old and under. Why two years old and under? Because he, as he was talking with the Magi, They put two and two together and said, this baby, this king who is to be born has to be born within this certain amount of time and that was the range of age that Herod knew he had to exterminate to make sure he killed Jesus. You see how demonic he was? I don't even know if Herod knew, but he was being either possessed or manipulated by a demon, maybe even the devil himself. But notice the deceiver was deceived. Herod was deceived by the Magi. And guess what? The Lord told them to do that. Isn't that remarkable that God would tell the man who was in power at the time, you know, there are times when disobeying an authority is right and even necessary to protect life and uphold righteousness because obeying God is more important than anything else. If your ruler tells you to do something against the word of God, you have every right in Jesus' name, to disobey that command respectfully. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In other words, because they had died. Now, the context of this passage in Jeremiah that is being quoted here is... um, the prophet uh, Isaiah speaking concerning the, the, the destruction that was coming against Jerusalem and the, the loss of life that would occur, even the infants, during the time of the Babylonian invasion. And, um, and Rachel's tomb actually was very near Bethlehem where this, this event would occur. And so uh, that is why she is seen here weeping over these children's deaths. And Which leads us to really the main part of the message today, and that is this satanic plot against Jesus, the king of the Jews, and his people. Not only Jesus, but against his people. You know, if we look in the very beginning, Satan sought to destroy man, and remember, man is the object of God's love. And God wanted to have fellowship with the man. Remember in Genesis 2, verse 6, as Adam and Eve are there in the garden, God gave one command to them. And what was that command? The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of all the trees in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why? Because for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. (laughs) so in order to destroy what god loved can you see this all satan had to do was to get adam and eve to disobey god and they would bring the judgment of god upon themselves satan didn't have to do anything all he had to do was tempt them because when god says don't do this or you will surely die the word literally means in dying you shall die that's where the spiritual death comes in. Slowly they were dying. Their spirit was at enmity with God. They would slowly begin to die. In dying, they would ultimately die. And Satan says, That's what I need. That's what I need. And who knows what Satan really knew? Who knows how much God had given information to Satan about his plan of redemption? We don't know. We know as soon as things were spoken or as soon as things were written down, you can assume that the devil knew about it. And he was very much aware of what was coming because he knew that ultimately his doom was going to come. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Because notice in, in Genesis 3 verse 15. Remember, after Satan got Adam and Eve to disobey God and and put this awful wrench in their relationship, notice what it says in, in 3.15, as God is judging the serpent, who was Satan, in the garden. And notice what he said to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed, a woman doesn't have a seed, she has an egg. So again, the virgin birth, we looked at this the, other, the last week or so. But notice that this seed has ultimately, ultimately found its fruition in Jesus Christ. So the battle is going to be between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, Christ will ultimately have an end of Satan. Ultimately, God wins. And in Genesis 3.15 there, we see Satan's demise given. And as a result, he knows this. And so his game plan begins to be established. And from this time going forward, Satan would seek to destroy the seed of the woman, not only and ultimately Jesus, but also his people, the Jews, and ultimately and evidently also to us, the church as well. Do you understand? We are guilty by association. The Jews really get it. And then the next is the Christian or the church of Jesus Christ, made up of Jew and Gentile. So God, and as we look through the scripture, and we're gonna do this very quickly and it's not gonna be exhaustive, okay? That would take a whole, I'd love to take one service and just follow this straight through because the plan of God and the, uh, the attack of Satan has been consistent throughout. And so we already see Satan knows his end is coming in Genesis 3.15. And so now he's gonna be start. he's starting to move. He's gonna start putting the pieces together and he's getting information, a little information here, a little information there. And he's putting his plan together. And it ultimately uh, continues on in the life of Abraham. Genesis 12, remember the Lord said to Abraham... When Abraham was still in Iraq, modern-day Iraq, and the Ur of the Chaldees, the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Notice, to a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you, Abraham, shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, and so Satan's going, hmm, there's something about this Abram. God is doing something here. I better pay attention, and you better believe that He was. Satan was opposed not only to the Messiah being born, but also against this the, the the Jews having the land of Israel. I don't know if you've noticed. Have you noticed any issues with the Jews being back in Israel and the problem with the with the. You know, the Palestinians and the Jews clashing. I don't know, were you aware of any conflicts going on between the two of them? Of course, it's been going on for hundreds of years. And it's been happening. And why is that? Because of what we're talking about right now. Satan knows his end, and so he's inciting as many people as possible. He wants to do two things. He wants to keep God's promises from coming to fruition, and he also wants to destroy the seed of the woman who ultimately he knows is certainly the Jewish people coming down through a certain line, but ultimately it's going to culminate in Jesus Christ. And he's like, i got to do whatever I can to stop that. It's like the Grinch. He wants to stop Christmas. That's who the devil is like. He's like the Grinch. He's trying everything he can to stop this from coming. But notice what God says to Abraham in Genesis fifteen. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And notice what God says to him. And you better believe that Satan was tuning in on this. God said to Abram, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, Abraham, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And so God is promising him a great number of people coming through him. And then he goes on. In, uh, in verse 18. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, Abraham, to your descendants, I make a covenant with, with you to give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenites, the Kadmonites, the, the Hittites, the, Parati- the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I give all of that land and all those people into your hand. And ultimately, he, God gave him the land. And then we go into Genesis chapter 17, and it gets even it the the it starts to narrow down here. Not only just the land that God is going to give, and there's a reason that He's going to give the land to them, because it's ultimately going to come down to a person. Notice when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him said, I am Almighty God and walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And then Abraham fell on his face and, and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And Satan is going, really, kings? Could this be the seed of the woman? Could it be? This everlasting covenant that God spoke to Abram about, Was um, he promised it not only to Abraham, but the same to Isaac, and then on to Jacob. And then we get to Jacob at the end of Jacob's life, remember when he's in Egypt, and what does he say? As he's prophesying over his 12 sons on his deathbed, what does he say to Judah? And you've heard this so many times so far. But notice in in Genesis 49, verse 10, Jacob said to, to Judah, he said, The scepter, the right to rule, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now Satan is going, okay, now I got it. He's going to go through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And ultimately it's going to go through Judah, this king who's going to reign. And so now he's putting two and together. And as you go through the book of Genesis, you'll see that the attacks of Judah especially were ratcheting up. And why is that? Because the the devil was seeing this thread. And he knows. He remembers Genesis 3.15. He remembers what God had spoken of, his demise, his destruction. Eternal destruction, not just a final act, but no. Eternal destruction is what Satan is going to have. Now let's fast forward a few hundred years and Saul finally being rejected by God as being Israel's first king. And you remember that David was anointed, and he and and Saul begins now to persecute and seek to kill David. And so Saul, inspired by Satan, sought to kill David many times. But there was one specific event that only needs to be mentioned for our purposes today, and that's in 1 Samuel 23. And let me read it to you, because it's the same demonic spirit that was manipulating Herod, was manipulating Saul.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.